Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following podcast is designed to entertain and inform. The views and opinions expressed by the guests participating in this podcast are solely their own based on their own experiences and do not represent the views and opinions of the hosts, Erios, Tradecraft Media, and or any distributor of this podcast. I am truly a dyed-in-the-wool Disney fan. It is in my blood, it is in my dreams, it is in my hopes and my fears, my morality. There is not a time in my life that I can't remember Disney being a huge, huge influence on just calibrating what joy is, what goodness is, what the ideal existence in life is. Disney has always sort of helped define that for me. Welcome to Keys to the Kingdom. I'm Matt Corley. And I'm Amanda Lund. This is episode four. We need to talk about the fans. The fans, the lifeblood of the theme park world, the people whose enthusiasm and cash flow keep the fantasy alive. Let's jump in right away with a huge Disney fan, one who for personal reasons chose to go off the record. Corndog Lover 86, tell us your story. Hello, my name is Corndog Lover 86, and I am a Big Disney fan, specifically the corn dogs. Oh God, I love those corn dogs. I would just eat them all day. I gotta get those corn dogs in my mouth. I love them. Amanda? Yes, so sue me. I'm a Disney fan. You're more than that. You're a real weirdo. Yeah. But you really are quite a fan. Yes, I am a fan of Disney and other theme parks, including Knott's Berry Farm and Universal Studios. I love the rides. I love the food, specifically the corn dogs. As you know, I grew up with a season pass. Every year, my mom would let me skip school on my birthday and we would go to Disney. 
But it's also not just for kids because I used to go there with my girlfriends in high school and we had a whole circuit we would do where we'd first hit Splash Mountain yelling dash to Splash and then back around to Space Mountain yelling race for space. Man, we were so cool. How how do you figure that? <laughs> now do you understand why I wanted to protect my identity? <laughs> yes. But you're not a Disney fan, so you don't get it. That's not fair. I like going to Disneyland quite a bit, provided the crowds aren't too big. Also, I practically grew up at Knott's, and I can genuinely say I'm a huge fan of Universal Studios, particularly the action stunt spectaculars. But this episode won't be about you and me, the casual fans. This is about the diehards, the obsessives, the super fans. Yeah, those guys. When I compare myself to them, I'm not even sure I know what it means to be a fan of something these days. Well, why don't we begin by making sure we understand the meaning of the word itself? Our modern word for fandom comes from the word fanaticism, which was in the early modern period associated with too much religious fervor. Dr. Jody Eichler-Levine is the Berman Professor of Jewish Civilization and Associate Professor of Religious Studies at Lehigh University. The very word we give to fan communities today started as a pejorative. I think that's no more true of Disney fans than of Yankees fans or any, any other really engaged fandom. But I think there's a perception that it's worse with Disney fans because of the escapist nature of Disney stories. That because this is a world that's about pixie dust and flying off to Neverland and escape, I think outsiders to Disney culture tend to think, wow, these people really want to escape from the real world when many other forms of affiliation are also that. So we're not talking about the fans you see in the theme park commercials, those picture-perfect nuclear families clad in Mickey ears. Forget them. That's right. We're talking about the full metal fans. Here's one. Our friend, beloved former cast member of Saturday Night Live, self-avowed Disney superfan, and frankly, inspiration, Taron Killam. He joins us from Budapest, Hungary, on the set of his new film, a remake of The River Wild. So what does Disneyland mean to you? I can say with good confidence, I've been at least once every year of my life since the age of three or four. I, I became uh, an annual pass uh, holder at the age of 16. And from then on, minimum four times a year, minimum. In certain cultures, turning 13, you're a man or 15, you're a woman. Is it in the waspy culture where you turn 16 and you get your Disney annual pass and it's your rite of passage? Yes, I think this is right. And I think I think as SoCal natives, you start at the base and what you hope is that you get to that premium level. Eventually, <laughs> I had the good fortune by the time of, you know, 19, 20 years old, I was making enough money that I graduated from my SoCal annual pass holder into a full fledged mature premium pass holder. Man, that had to feel good, right? It, 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 try to block me. <laughs> try to give me a blackout date. I dare you. And listener, aren't you lucky because Taryn is going to walk us through his perfect Disney day. The perfect Disney day is I've slept over at Disney's Grand Californian Hotel. I've used my Starbucks app 
to pre-order my morning cold brew, return to the hotel and enter for the early park hours, the magic hours that you get as a Disney guest. I think for me, I start my day on Main Street and I really lollygag. I really take my time. I probably spend 30 to 45 minutes in the silent movie theater just watching cartoons. Then ideally for me and the way that the park works out now is that I make a counterclockwise traversion of the park. Definitely go on star tours, hope for a message from Yoda, um, try to get a day, ideally the day's high score, but at least the hour's high score on Buzz Lightyear. Head over to Space Mountain. You can miss me with Matterhorn, and that is probably the most scandalous thing I'll say. That thing is horrible for human spines and not an enjoyable ride. Small world, love it. You got to do it. If I miss the Casey Jr. Circus Train, I'm not going to cry about it, <laughs> but I'll hit every dark ride. Nobody can match a Disney dark ride. That's the soul stone of the Disney Infinity Gauntlet. To coin a purchased IP phrase. <laughs> <laughs> um, depending on the day, I'm getting my favorite, my personal favorite. I know this isn't the right answer, but it's my personal favorite. I'm getting a chocolate dipped waffle cone with mint chip ice cream from Main Street Creamery. Who would fight you on that? Uh, anybody with a brain who knows that either churro, which is probably the most acceptable answer for best Disney dessert, or Dole Whip, which is my second favorite Disney dessert, yeah. is, is, is the right answer. Then I think I move into Star Wars land, Galaxy's Edge. Are you a green milk or a blue milk man? The green is the better flavor because it's green and it's melon and it's the better flavor undeniably. I don't need either of them, quite honestly. <laughs> Rise of the Resistance is just objectively, I think, the best ride in any Disney park. But by far the best experience is building your own lightsaber. I cry every time. So how many do you have? <laughs> how many times have you cried? Let me rephrase that. Oh, this is going to sound like a joke. Matt, and on our friendship, it absolutely is not. <laughs> 28. Oh, oh my God, you're a like, Jedi armory. <laughs> we are. Oh, God bless you. It's it's me. It's my girls yeah. being dragged along for each of those experiences. It's family from out of town who have visited and they're like, I don't need to pack a lightsaber. And I'm like, it's been nice knowing you. <laughs> but that's the best experience. And then, and then what I'm kind of trying to make my way into Critter Country, New Orleans for that sunset twilight into evening vibe. You have this planned out by daylight. And, and you don't. Oh, sorry. I apologize. <laughs> of course I do. I'm confirming that this is how you do it. Correct. It is the proper way. I'm getting on splash just as sunset, just so that as I drop, you get that beautiful golden hour lens flare. <laughs> I'm going into the haunted mansion in twilight and I'm exiting it in the dark. I don't have to do Indiana Jones. I don't know if I have a gentle spine or what. Sounds like it. Maybe. It's a good job that you're filming the remake of River Wild <laughs> right now. <laughs> exactly. And cut. Can we not jostle the boat, please? <laughs> and, then, and then I'm closing the park out. As a three-year new member of Club 33, I'm going to have the next cocktail in my A to Z library thing where they give you every cocktail they've ever had on the menu in order alphabetically. Holy shit. I'm going to sit in one of the nooks. Probably the Haunted Mansion nook is my favorite. I've missed the rush by hanging at the bar. And yeah, I'm getting in my car and I'm driving home a satisfied Disney fanatic. And that concludes my day at Disneyland Park. We've got to go to Disney right now. That sounds so fun. We've got to go to Disney with Taryn Killam. Yes, we do. Now, to be fair, Taryn has children. 
and self-awareness, which for whatever reason makes his fandom very palatable, if not admirable. But he is part of or adjacent to a phenomenon we need to talk about called Disney adults. Here's Dr. Eichler Levine again. A Disney adult is someone, say, over the age of 18 who likes to visit Disney parks, loves to watch Disney Plus, you know, is very engaged with the Disney company, whether or not they have children. So that might mean going to Disney World completely without kids, or it might mean that it's the parent who actually wants to go and the the child is dragged along. And it's a term that's been in common usage for like at least the last five to 10 years, sort of as part of internet culture. But Disney's actually been marketing to adults directly since at least the 1990s. There's a great commercial that resurfaced on TikTok showing the grandparents going off to visit Disney World. And the parents are like, I I hope they're having fun without us. And meanwhile, they're like clinking champagne glasses by the World Showcase Lagoon and very happy. So someone like Taryn has it on lock. He's a fan's fan, but he's one of the good guys. From a theme park performer's perspective, there also exists another type of fan, as previously defined, a true fanatic. The kind of fan, Matt, that was a fan of you specifically. (sighs) Yes, it's time I told you all about Flora, who for today's purposes will be played by Molly Hockey. The year is 2004. I was working at Disney's California Adventure, which is the park adjacent to Disneyland, on an outdoor stage doing a show called The Department of Untapped Hilarity, or Duh. Judging by the title, you can imagine what level of comedy we were producing. A plus. (laughs) So this was an improvised comedy show, kind of similar to Whose Line Is It Anyway? And throughout its long run, we would get a number of regulars that would come to this show. We did it six times a day. Before too long, I started to notice a mother and her son coming to the show fairly regularly. Now, when you're talking about a family-friendly theme park show, I'm sure you think about this mother and son as the way they were. A man in his late 40s and a woman around 70. (laughs) I've already called her Flora. That's not her real name. I want to protect her identity because, at best, she was a very confused woman. To say the least, she was an interesting character. And just to provide some color, almost every time I remember seeing her, which was multiple times, she was wearing a long denim dress. And her son, who I'll call Gil, was wearing those kind of wraparound medical sunglasses. They would show up to multiple shows a day and immediately split off and sit in different parts of the audience. I don't know why. So it came to pass that I recognized her every time she came. We all did because she was there so often and I thought it would be harmless to wave to her and acknowledge her most of the times she came. And we sort of had this unspoken friendship until one day I received an email from her. How did she get your email? I have no idea. And just so the listeners know, I actually have not heard this. Here's her first email to me. Hi, Matt. Chabba-dabba-dingy. You were indescribably terrific today. The pirate, the jazz, the Shakespeare. Oh, we have 17 hours of tape of duh and watch some of it every night. Plan to be at the park next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So hope to see you there. Your fan, Flora. Parentheses Vishnu. 
Before you ask, I have no idea why she signs off as Vishnu. But at this point, I still thought her harmless, if a little quirky. And her emails to me in the early days consisted of cryptic messages. And I mean that literally. They were codes or riddles. And Amanda, you can vouch for this. You know I can't resist a puzzle. Wow, you must have really felt like James Bond. So she would send me letters that look like gibberish on the surface. But if you looked at them closely enough, you could kind of sense a pattern. So I would sit there at home breaking these codes and they were relatively simple in that like there was an A, you would find the letter that corresponded for that three letters later in the alphabet and then shift every letter three letters, you would get the message. They were pretty innocuous messages at the time. And then the codes gave way to very personal emails sooner than later. Uh, Okay, so what were the messages from the code? For instance, this. Did you get lost? What happened to you? I've been worried sick about you. Why can't you send me an email? What are you, a mime? (laughs) Because I think I stopped responding to the emails. Please, please, please send me an email. I'm begging you. How many emails are there in total? Uh, More than I can count. Wow. Other than cracking the riddles, I didn't really respond. And that's why you can see she's starting to get a little, um, how would you describe it? Aggro. Here's another one. Dear M, hope my tears will wash away my sins. (laughs) Were you ever scared? Not at this point, because physically I wasn't concerned, but that changes and we'll get to that. Here's one that just says gibberish and in parentheses in all caps. Scream! At this point, when you would see her in the audience, would you engage with her? No, she just wouldn't come up. In fact, she wasn't very effusive at all. I don't remember her ever laughing at the shows. She was just kind of in the back of the audience. I see. What is it with you? Why don't you ever send me an email? I'm not going to show it to anyone. All caps. I'm not like that! On the back lot stage, you talk normally to people who come up from the audience. Why can't you talk to me that way? And stop kissing Gail in front of me. A girl named Sam. Gail was my co-worker in the show and one of my best friends. Now, this is where things got intense. Because it was now clear to me that she was sort of seeing things on stage and reacting to them in a personal way. And maybe was insinuating that Gail and I had some sort of romance that she didn't like. So the next time I saw her, she actually did come up to me. And she was wearing her denim dress and she had her purse. And I said, hi, Flora. Listen... I gotta say, when you say things like, don't kiss Gail in front of you, I'm confused by that. It makes me a little uncomfortable. She started shaking, and then she said to me, I thought you were sending me messages from up on stage. Then she started to reach deep inside her purse. I went back on one foot thinking, am I going to have to tackle a 70-year-old woman as she pulls out something from her purse? I was equal parts afraid, curious, and bewildered. And she saw me go back on my foot and pulled her hand out of her purse with nothing in her hand. I don't know if she was getting a gift or something more threatening, but it was enough to push me to the point where I had to kind of say, like, I I think it's best if we don't talk anymore. Now, I want to be very careful here because we're talking about someone who might be dealing with a mental health condition and that's nothing to make light of. But we also want to illuminate that theme park employees interact with a variety of personalities every day. People who, like Flora, seem to want to know certain theme park workers more personally and it can become quite complicated. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Right. And the last email I got from her was on October 18th, 2004. Hugh to the line, Matt. Let the chips fall where they may. Lady Windermere. And did you ever see her again? No. Wow. I'm assuming Flora was an AP. Yes. AP stands for annual pass holder. Someone who purchases a year-long admission to a theme park and might attend as often as, well, every day. And as we've heard, interactions with the APs could be pretty intense sometimes. But the APs are obviously getting something out of spending so much of their time at Disney. Maybe it's just basic human interaction, but it can sometimes be at the expense of the theme park workers and even the casual fans. There's a price to pay, even to the company itself. Historically, APs are getting a great deal. They purchase a pass with a one-time fee. They visit the parks as much as they like and often even pack their own lunches to avoid the expensive Disney food prices. So in many ways, they've learned how to game the system. I will never pack a lunch to Disney. I will spend all of my hard-earned money on corn dogs. She's not kidding. We're in great debt. But much to our, I mean their, chagrin. Disney has recently changed their AP pass, making it more expensive and adding a reservation system and more restrictions to when and how often they can visit. Perhaps the long, glorious summer of the annual pass holder is coming to a cold, wintry end. But I have to say some of the APs were just great and you would look forward to seeing them. I want to talk about an annual pass holder who really made an impression on me. His name was Mr. Tuesday. And he would come to the park every week on... Wednesday. Tuesday. I see. He was in his 40s. He was tall, dark hair, deep brown eyes, and he would always come alone. Which, I understand, sounds a little weird. And I I think it is. But he just seemed to authentically enjoy observing the characters. So he would come like clockwork once a week. He would get in the line, wait for you. You'd have a nice, pleasant interaction. But the thing that was special about him and why everyone was excited when he would come 
is every once in a while he would present you with a white envelope and there wasn't some sort of weird puzzle in there. All right. (laughs) It would be a stack of printed photos of yourself and a few of you and him together. And on them, in tiny little writing, he would write a nickname for you. What was your nickname? I was Rookie. Wait, why did he call you Rookie? Because I was new. Yeah, but what happened when you weren't new? Well, once a rookie, always a rookie. (laughs) (laughs) Is that not how it works? Now, just to rattle off a few of the other APs that stand out to me. Are we talking about Mr. Wednesday through Friday? There was a gentleman who would come in from Florida once a year with his mother. Uh Uh-oh. He was in his mid-30s, so tan. And he (laughs) would come once a year from Florida and give you a Sharpie. Mr. Magic Marker? Mr. Sharpie. I see. He was brand loyal. (laughs) And he would let you choose one. I don't mean this the wrong way, but you girls were easily impressed. Thank you. But Mr. Sharpie and Mr. Tuesday had nothing on the Tokyo Disney fans. Now, these guys were the real super fans, right? Uh, yeah. I worked at Tokyo Disney for six months. Now, Tokyo has an intense fan culture as it is, and Disney is huge there. The APs would know when a new batch of character performers would begin their new contract working at the park, and they would select their favorites. They would come visit you in the park, sometimes daily, like it was their full-time jobs. And a huge thing for the Tokyo fans was presenting the characters with gifts. Were they Sharpies? Yes, sometimes they were Sharpies. Mostly, though, they were these little keepsakes, but sometimes they were giving away, like, nice leather belts. (laughs) (laughs) One prince got a nice leather belt. And I remember you're not supposed to take the gifts, but I mean, a lot of us got to know those fans and they actually became our friends. But at the end of our contracts, all of the fans wait for you. And when you leave for your last day of work, they present you with these beautiful, elaborate photo books Wow! of pictures of you, pictures of you and them together. And then sometimes some candid photos of you, perhaps in your normal clothes on a weekend on the train. In a leather belt. (laughs) Now, to give us more of a taste of life among the annual pass holders in Japan, here's someone you might remember from the first episode, Epaulette Babe. For reasons of job security, he's chosen to have his voice disguised. I don't think any any fan from any other country is ever going to live up to the, the Japanese fans and the Tokyo Disney fans. Some of them were, you could sort of tell, like, they're like, I don't know if we should hang out in person because uh, this feels maybe just a little bit unsafe. But then there were other people that were like, no, 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 we just love Disney. We get it. You're a person. We're not going to be up in your business. But like, I remember this one time I was Bert from Mary Poppins and everybody's like, who is this guy in this weird multicolored suit? We don't really care about him, like, whatever. And so I didn't really have too much interaction going on. But this one woman was like, oh, Berto, Berto. And she came every single set that day. And she eventually, like, sort of directing, like, certain, like, shots, certain pictures uh, that she was like, oh, let's do this. But, like, because she only spoke Japanese and I only spoke English, it was, like, this, like, sort of, like, pantomime. And at one point, she had, like, pulled out, like, American money, dollar bills and fives and tens, and was like, here. And I'm like, oh, no, I can't. I can't take that. And she's like, oh, no. Like, she, like, indicated that, like, she wanted me to hold it while she took a picture. And I'm like, oh, am I going to get in, like, trouble for this? Like, is this, like, this doesn't really feel like on brand with i guess for this woman like no one's ever gonna see this photo so okay i guess so i'm like sitting there you know in this like really crazy suit with this money and i'm like 
oh my god do i look like a pimp right now like what is happening uh i feel like a little bit unsafe she was just so nice and like the only person giving me attention so i kind of just went with it i was sitting on bushes i was like pointing at things i was like i was doing so many weird things with this woman that one definitely left like a little bit of a uh, a scar um, <laughs> on, felt, on my memory. You felt used and abused. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah. But despite narrowly avoiding being Disney's first stripper, Epaulette Babe has a very healthy perspective of the Japanese fans overall. They were so crazy and inventive and passionate and joyful. It wasn't just kids, you know, it was adults too. And the adults were as into it, if not more into it than the kids. And I think that was sort of like a testament to the Japanese parkours because you don't have to stop having fun just because you grew up. Um, I think it's maybe even more important to continue to have fun in this sort of like adult world. And uh, on my more challenging days in the park to like really like bring the magic or the energy or like you know the imagination to it all they were sort of the thing that was like okay if you can be as into it as you are like i can come with you on that ride you know what i mean so like they definitely carried me over some uh, hurdles on harder days And just when you thought it couldn't get any more fanatical, we sat down with one of the head of Disney's many roving social clubs, or as the media is fond of calling them, Disney gangs. Hi, my name is Jake Fight, and I am one of the original founders of a Disneyland social club, the White Rabbit Social Club. And there's many groups of Disney fans. You've got the pin traders, you've got all these kinds of people, but the social club specifically, that scene, is just a bunch of rabid Disney fans that associate together under the banner of these cheesy denim motorcycle gang-like patches. It's just a big group of super fans of Disneyland. There's literally hundreds of these clubs. Do you all wear these denim vests? Is that an agreed-upon custom of a Disney social club? Well, okay, so I, I, I didn't come up with this whole idea of the <laughs> denim vest. If it was me, I probably would have went with something a little mellower, like a collegiate college sweater, uh, something that's a little less obtrusive. Um, but yeah, the tradition is, is, is that, you know, it's a denim vest with a patch on the back and that represents the social club that you affiliate with. What is your take on when the media and others refer to the social clubs as Disney gangs? I mean, let's be honest, a social club vest it represents a motorcycle gang, which is not something that would be very friendly. But you have to realize it's so tongue in cheek. It's so just ridiculous. The thought of an adult at Disneyland or a child at Disneyland wearing a biker vest with Mickey Mouse on the back. I mean, it's the whole idea is pretty much tongue in cheek. Forgive me on this because I'm not that well versed in it, but you guys don't have turf necessarily. Like you don't claim Adventureland for your social no. club. Okay. No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, believe me, the rumors and the legacies that surround the social club community are much more intense and way more outrageous than what the actual reality is. What's the most egregious rumor that you've heard? You'll find in these forums online where people are posting, oh, I saw this one social club and they got in a turf war over this and over that and over. And it's, it's all nonsense. These are the biggest group of Disney nerds. They're like pin traders that are just wearing a vest. Nobody's fighting. Nobody's claiming territory. It's not, it's these are nerds. I don't think these any of these people have gotten in a fight in their whole life. 
But the Disney gang's label isn't completely unwarranted. The reason we reached out to the head of the White Rabbit Social Club, Jake Fight, is because he is currently embroiled in a lawsuit with a rival social club. According to an article in the LA Times, a civil lawsuit filed by the leader of the Main Street Fire Station 55 Social Club alleges that Jake Fight and other members of the White Rabbits used gangster-like tactics to collect, quote, protection money for a charity fundraiser, and when they refused to pay, subsequently spread malicious rumors about the rival club on his podcast and social media. Jake has publicly denied these allegations, but couldn't comment on the details of the case in this interview. This is what he could say. Well, if you catch me after the lawsuit, I can tell you a lot about it. But right now, yeah, there is some current litigation going on. I can't really get into details about that because this has been going on since 2017. What I can say is that there's plenty of public record out there. I mean, there's plenty of documents that are filed. And if you were to go through those documents, you'd realize really fast that things don't add up at all. Has the complications in the lawsuit in any way tainted your love of Disney as a fan? It, has it hampered my experience at Disneyland? No, I was there last week. Um, I still go. It's it, it hasn't hampered that. What benefit do you get personally from being a part of a social club as opposed to attending Disneyland as just a normal guest? The whole thing about the Disneyland social club scene is that I've met a lot of good people that are still in my life and their friends outside of the Disneyland parks. And so I think that's the biggest benefit, the biggest takeaway. And of course, I've met a lot of crazies, too, that uh, I'm probably they still call me their friend and stuff. But there's there's some nut jobs at Disneyland, too. Yeah, you hang out there enough. You're going to meet some uh, questionable people. That's for sure. Disney adults are often the butts of the joke in media and online. There was an Am I the Asshole thread on Reddit by a bride who had a Disney wedding, and she was getting ripped apart by the commenters. Except for one, our very own Dr. Eichler Levine. I wrote a Twitter thread that went mildly viral because this user, who may or may not exist, had talked about their wedding and how they did not give their guests any food and instead spent the money on Mickey and Minnie being at their Disney wedding. What happened was the internet kind of reacted with a typical, oh my gosh, Disney adults, they're terrible, using really hyperbolic language, like Disney adults are a plague upon society. And I was thinking, you know, we, we've had like an actual plague. I don't really think Disney adults are killing people. And so I wrote this meant to be tongue in cheek, but also serious thread saying, hey, like I've met all these Disney adults for whom this is really serious. Like this bride may have been a little bit unthoughtful of her guests, not the best hostess. But um, when people say Disney is important to them, they really are talking about a place where they get married, where they welcome their new babies, where they go and they finish chemotherapy. And so I wrote that thread to say, hey, like, stop trashing Disney adults. This is actually just as significant as baseball or religion. But I think the reason we need to respect and pay attention to Disney fans is because all of these people at theme parks around the world and on Disney Plus are finding real meaning here. So I think that anything that moves people and causes them to make decisions about what's important to them, right? Disney, even if it's in addition to a quote-unquote regular religion or instead of, is why some people get up in the morning. Which brings us back to Mr. Tuesday. There was one Tuesday when he didn't show up, and then he never came again. It was very sad when I read this in the Orange County Register. 
Disneyland's Mr. Tuesday dies over the weekend. Hundreds of Disney cast members are spending their first Tuesday at work without a beloved and perennial guest. A former cast member at Disneyland called around Disney this afternoon to report that Timothy Storms, 48, of Huntington Beach, known around Disneyland as Mr. Tuesday, killed himself over the weekend. Storms spent every Tuesday for years up until this week at the park. He visited with cast members, took their photos, and passed on the photos to the cast members. I saw that man hundreds of times, said former cast member Nikki Foscia, 26, of Anaheim. Even when I was pregnant and not in costume, he recognized me. He was always so friendly and happy. And this final thought. I didn't know anything about what was going on in Mr. Tuesday's life, and up to this point, I didn't even know his name. But he seemed to really love his time at Disney, and I'm glad that I was a part of something that brought him comfort and hopefully joy, even if it was only once a week. If you or someone you know is contemplating suicide, please call or text the Suicide and Crisis Hotline at 988. Next episode, we'll take a look at the top-tier theme park workers, the actors, the agvas, the professionals. Go behind the scenes of Keys to the Kingdom with eight full-length bonus companion episodes featuring numerous extended and never-before-heard interviews as well as loads of hot theme park gossip. Plus, get all regular Keys to the Kingdom episodes ad-free as they release. Simply click the link in the show description. Keys to the Kingdom was created, written, produced, edited, and hosted by Amanda Lund and Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Erios, Matt Gorley, and Amanda Lund. Mixed and mastered by Brett Morris. Associate produced by Alex Paul. Sound design and artwork by Matt Gorley. Production coordination by Alex Paul and Crystal Dinsberg. Special thanks to Veronica Taylor, Tim Ruggieri, Tatiana Matias at Acast, and Martha Little, Amor Yates, and Nicholas Sotomayor at Audible. If you have a story about working at a theme park, email us at themeparkhotline at gmail.com and we might use it for a future episode or season. Keys to the Kingdom is an Erios production in conjunction with Tradecraft Media. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.